Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hi, and welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Marcy. And I'm Jenny. And tonight we are talking about Holly Black's Doll Bones, which was a Newberry honor in 2014. We have a citation for you so that if you've not read the book, you, um, you will have some sense of what we're talking about. Um, we also are sipping on a cocktail called the Frittleberry Merzenquest, and we'll talk about what it tastes like and what we think about it later in the episode. We also have a snack for this episode. We um, made French fries. They're from the Smitten Kitchen, easiest French fries recipe, and they're really damn good. Yeah. So if you hear chewing, we can't we can't be blamed. It's all Smitten Kitchen. Yeah, it's they're kind of they're just really really good. Mm. Okay. And they were easy. Yeah, they were super easy and they're super tasty. But uh, this citation is from School Library Journal. It is written by Mandy LaFerry from uh, Frisco, Texas. At 12 years old, lifelong friends Zach, Poppy, and Alice are ferociously clinging to their childhoods. Using old Barbies, pirate action figures, dolls from Goodwill, and their imaginations, they've created an exciting world of characters in an elaborate game. Figuring heavily in their plotline is the queen, an antique doll of bone china that belongs to Poppy's mother and is strictly off limits to the kids. She's also incredibly creepy. When Zack's dad throws away his action figures, the boy is so devastated that he ends the game abruptly, leaving the girls hurt and confused. Shortly thereafter, Poppy reveals that the queen is made of the bones of a dead girl named Eleanor who has been communicating with her at night. The doll appears to be filled with Eleanor's ashes, and she has promised Poppy that she will make their lives miserable if they don't journey to Ohio, find her grave, and bury her properly. It's as creepy as it sounds. It's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's kind of like a shocker. Um, When they announced this one, I was totally surprised because graveyard book notwithstanding, it's not the kind of book that they usually pick, but I love it. Love it, love it. Oh, yeah. I was also surprised. Um, I feel like there, I feel like in the early days of the Newberry, there were more what could be considered genre fiction picks. And as time has gone on, I would say in the, you know, 60s through the 90s into the 2000s, there's a lot more historical and realistic fiction. Mm-hmm. And branching um, out into things like poetry and graphic novels. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, this is so hardcore horror um, and fantasy, and it's so good. I'm just going to keep saying it's so good over and over and over while well, I stuff my mouth with French <laughs> Well, one of the things I really like about it is how ambiguous it is, right? So you would expect in a story like this as being given awards for children's literature that it has like a tidy wrap-up or a lesson or something, and it doesn't. Like, this doll is not even nice to them. It's mean. Like, they're not like, oh, she deserves to be reunited with her, her actual grave site. No, the doll's saying in dreams that it's going to make their lives miserable. And then it may or may not have destroyed the campsite. Mm-hmm. It may or may not be projecting itself to be an actual girl to, yeah, to so people they come across on their journey. They actually do sneak out at night and go on essentially a road trip, although they're all too young to drive, so they go on the bus. And they have all of these strange adventures where all these crazy things happen. So they, they camp and their campsite when they when they wake up is totally torn to pieces. And 
they go eat at a diner or a donut shop and people act as if they have an extra person in their group, which they describe as looking like the doll. Mm-hmm. And so it just gets creepier and creepier. But it is never actually answered whether the doll is actually haunted or not. So it could just be more of the overactive imagination of these kids who are desperately trying to keep playing this imagination game that they've had going for a long mm-hmm. time. It's not clear at all. And that's kind of what I like about it. It's so well written in that regard. Um, and she she kind of tilts the narrative and what these kids are experiencing in both directions kind of violently, mm-hmm. really fast back and forth. So you start to think that they are just clinging. They're mm-hmm. clinging to this childhood thing they had together. Yeah, and they just have this imagined story and imagined mission because it is a cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. Well, and because um, the doll, the queen, um, had been part of their game to begin with. So when they were playing these games with the, the Barbies and the action figures and everything, the queen was this malevolent presence that they had to appease in a lot of these adventures. And she would sit in this locked cabinet, like in actuality, she would sit in this locked cabinet in Poppy's house. And then they would pretend that she was in a glass tower. They would say that they could feel her looking at them. Even when her eyes were closed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think Eliza Wheeler does an amazing job with the illustrations. Yes. Of just giving you enough so you know what the doll looks like, you know what the kids look like. Um but and not enough that it answers the question either way about whether this is real or not. No, no. And honestly, dolls can be so creepy. Yeah. Like, I'll never forget, I went in high school to this plant- old plantation house in Clemson, or near Clemson, South Carolina, and it was called Ashtabula. And there was these, just this bed, this little like crib filled with disgusting old dolls. And one of them had like its nose had fallen off or rotted off. And it looked like someone had just taken like some chewing gum and stuck it Ew. on the nose and tried to shape it so it looked like a nose. So it was like a chewing gum nose, like old chewing gum. And I was like, that thing is going to murder somebody. It's going to take revenge for its disfigurement. I was very grateful that you don't, didn't make me record this on the doll trail. <laughs> <laughs> the Dolls Trail. Yeah, so for those of you who are not local to us, there's a place near Atlanta called the Dolls Head Trail, and it is a normal hiking trail in Georgia, except that I think it started with an actual artist. Like, I think I actually spoke to a friend of the artist once who okay. was like, my friend did that. But it escalated and accumulated because everybody was way too into it. And so now there's this trail that has just creepy doll heads and body parts and stuff all over it. And not in a like haphazard, here's just a pile of like plastic pieces way. It is artfully done and it is creepy as hell. Or even just like, oh, there's like sticks with doll heads on them. This No, this is like mosaics with doll heads and like strange inversions of doll heads. And they're like mounted into trees and hanging and... See, I don't mind those as much because (laughs) I think there's a base part of me that's like, oh, they've been deconstructed. They can't actually do anything to me. They can't get you. Yeah, because they're just like heads, right? (laughs) So they could look at me and cast a spell, but that's not real, so I'm not worried about that, right? Hmm. Say that to your haunted drink.
One of the things I love about this book is the fact that the kids have been using the queen or Eleanor as she comes to be known in their play already. They're creeped out by her and they, they sense that there's something off about her. Um, and then it starts to come true. I just think it's such a slow, creepy reveal in that way. Yeah, because, I mean, like we were saying, you you sway from thinking that they're totally making it up to, oh my God, this is totally real. And you, it's equally possible, like both directions, totally equally possible. Because of all these tiny little moments, you know, and it, again, the moments are something that could easily be imagined or made up, but it doesn't feel that way at all. And so it really captures, I think, like a child's imagination and an imaginary life or a child's like interior imaginary life. Mm -hmm. Because to a kid, like the scary things are totally real and possible. Like there can be monsters under your bed. And then you get a little older and you're like, that's crazy. That's not true. But they both feel real. Well, and I thought, I really thought that it was going to be much more on the side of kind of a little bit like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like this isn't really happening. Mm -hmm. Like I really thought it would be just because it's kind of a middle grade. I mean, mm -hmm. I think it skews on the older end of middle grade, but yeah. I thought that it was going to be a little more like that. But then when they, when I guess Poppy finds the little satchel of, um, of ashes inside of her with the name, I was like, oh my God, this is horrible. <laughs> But in the best way. Yeah. Um, and so that's when I, I really knew that this book meant business. Yeah. But yeah, and then later on in the trip, like when they end up in the town that they're heading to, they go into a library and there's a whole display about this man who made ceramics. That's how they match it up is the, the way that Eleanor tells them in the dreams that she died um, matches with the story in the library's display about Mr. Kirchner, about Lucas Kirchner. Um, and so they are like, oh, it's Eleanor. Um, and so it's, it's believed that her dad killed her. Yeah, and I actually really love how obviously well-researched this is because of the way that they tie in the fact that ceramic dolls were made using like bone ash which could easily be from a person. So it's actually plausible that something like that would happen. And the quotes are so creepy too. Like the quotes in the little display or the historical plaque say things like uh, when her dad was accused of killing her and he was all tearful and, and said that he didn't kill her, he said, I'm not her killer, but I am the one who has given her new life and calls her his most perfect creation. That's so creepy. I know, it's so creepy. It's so gross. <laughs> Reminded me a little bit of like Casper, like the movie Casper the Friendly Ghost. The one where he eats and it just falls out of his butt. Well, yeah, but later when he's talking about what happened to him in the first place to turn him into that. I don't remember anything okay. about that movie except him eating and it falls out. <laughs> it just immediately falls out, like kind of where his butt would be. Well, his dad was an inventor, right? And mm. um, so this poor little like 1800s boy was playing on his sled and he stayed out too long and he got pneumonia and died. Hmm. And his dad kind of went crazy and invented, like, the Lazarus machine to bring him back. Huh. Yeah, and I just remember the the butt food. <laughs> what about the last scene? Were you what not... last scene? Oh, my God. Of Casper? Yes. Okay, so 
I also remember like Christina Ricci gets like is like in a relationship with him or something. Yeah, so at the end he gets his he gets like a Cinderella kind of a wish. That's gross. At at the Halloween (laughs) dance at her house, and he turns into a real boy. For like, she's still really pale with a hour. point for feet. No, it was super hot, like for for like ten year olds or whatever. <laughs> so that's why I can't believe you don't remember because everybody mm-hmm. my age is just like, oh yeah, it's such a crush. Mm-mm. No, a long time ago. No, I liked older men when I was that age. I was very into <laughs> Johnny Depp as Benny in Benny and June. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an ill fated crush. But um, this book reminds me of. Um, it reminds me of something that Tim Burton could have pulled off at the height of his career. Absolutely. And I was thinking actually how great it would be if he ever did make a movie of this. I actually fall on the side. I think it would be better if um, Henry Selleck, the guy who made Nightmare Before Christmas and The Corpse Bride and Coraline, mm. like I think he would make an incredible adaptation of this. And it would be, I think it could push the boundaries of what this could look like. I would still want it to be live action though. I'd be okay with it not being, but I'm a sucker for Selleck stuff. So I'm getting more like Sleepy Hollow vibe, mm. like the ominous, yeah. but but still funny at times. Yeah, so I could see it being like Edward Scissorhands with the really dark and twisted, against the pastel backdrop. That actually works super well because like you get the historical like flashback mm-hmm. part would be like the part with Vincent Price. Get that tone to it. Today is his birthday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here. Well, cheers to Vincent Price. Yay. <laughs> I, I love that man so much. Um, for some weird reason, um, a little while ago, I started watching old family feuds on YouTube, but like the celebrity family feuds. He was on family feuds. Oh God. Yes. <gasps> and it's one of the most surreal things in the world. You have because, to send me a link to that. Well, the guy is going down, the host is going down the row and he's being disgusting and he's like kissing every woman on the lips and he's like just just being really gross and handsy and he gets to Vincent Price and he's just, he's just like how are you today and he's like I'm fine and he was like well what do you like to do for fun and, and Vincent Price goes gardening <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> I he was on um because they had the Batman cast oh wow and he played um Egghead on some episodes uh, but seeing him do Family Feud is very weird and surreal, and so we'll surreal. put a link to it um, because it it's just it's one of my favorite things on Earth. Oh my God, <laughs> that's epic. I also liked the just the very beginning, like the whole setup of the story. I like how the kids were like getting together. And using their like action figures or dolls or whatever they had to just like tell a story and build a world, because I, I think that covers a whole like subset of kids that is not always covered in middle school books. Like they're not worried about like getting on the sports team or like even like family issues. They're just like, here's this imaginary world that we built, and we're having a problem with it because of real life. So it felt very like. If they were older, they would have been playing D&D. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And they probably will. Yeah. Um, Especially the way the book ends makes it seem like... I loved that ending. Yeah. Um, I think I love this book even more because I know that Holly Black's other books are all about like the imaginary world being real or like 
the fairy world like coming into contact with like quote unquote real life and things changing and things not being what they seem or things becoming what they are going to be, mm-hmm. but in unexpected and fantastical ways. And so that, well, that of course makes me think that the whole doll thing really is real, but the whole story itself just is, is really nice in that context. I just like the way that the kids story arcs are going and, and the fact that it seems real that they are all changing too. Mm-hmm. I also really love the fact that they're very stay at home kids. They're very in their head kids and they strike out on this huge adventure. And I'm always a big fan of that. I just think it's, it's kind of perfect. And, um, the and they do it in the nerdiest way possible. <laughs> like they like make sure they all have snacks. They make sure they have some money. There are kind of kids. Yeah. They're very, <laughs> they're very studious about their running away. But they also like the tone when they, when they leave in the middle of the night is so like, so well written that like you really feel like it's the middle mm-hmm. of the night. Like you can feel it yourself, mm-hmm. which I love. That's something I'm struck by more and more with um, Holly Black's writing. Um, the more I read of hers, the more I just, you know, at the risk of sounding, uh, I guess, cheesy, the more I just, I feel like her writing is magical. Like she's just able to set a tone and set a relationship so well and so quickly mm-hmm. and then it bears out and it's the, usually the story goes beyond what you could ever expect. Um, and I find that as a jaded old prune of a reader, um, <laughs> I find that really delightful and really nice. Just hard, a very nice surprise. And again hard to and again. Find. Mm-hmm. Very hard to find. So one thing I like about it is there's a little bit of a romance in there, but not really. Mm-hmm. They're all such really good friends. And you learn that Alice really likes Zach. And Zach kind of likes Alice. And they talk about it a little bit, but it doesn't become a huge thing. Poppy's worry about her being excluded from their friendship is, the I think, the main point that's hit mm-hmm. in that. And that to me feels a lot more real than... Well, at 12, yeah. yeah. I mean, you are you get crushes, but it's the concern about two best friends like excluding you is so much more severe in my experience. But... Okay. But yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I'm hard put to find anything that I don't like about this book. I mm-hmm. mean, as far as recommending it to people... If you like slightly scary, ominous stories, this book is perfect. There's nothing really gory. The only thing that verges on being too much for younger kids, if they like gloomy, spooky things, would be the description of the the historical events leading up to the potential death of the girl that is part of this doll. And then the dream that Zach has about her because the the public story is that the daughter went missing and the dad kind of went crazy and that was sort of it his his ceramics business went out of business but then the true story that they know because he dreamed it was that they had an aunt who chased her with a broom and she fell off the roof and died and the dad 
went nuts and incorporated the body into the ceramics. So that could be a little bit much for some kids. There are a lot of books that we read that are excellent books, and I can talk about their good qualities all the time, but once I've read them, I'm kind of done, and I wouldn't necessarily want to reread them again. Like, this is a book that I would buy and keep and have to read again. Mm -hmm. It's definitely, um, it definitely holds up to multiple readings and multiple interpretations, and I think that's one of the best things you can ask ask for from a book. Especially a middle grade book. Like, Mm -hmm. they tend to be very tidy. Yeah. But speaking of middle grade books, do you have any read-alikes? The older middle grade book is The Calder Game by Blue Belliette. It's about two kids who are misfits, and they end up uh, working together to solve a mystery of letters that's kind of spread out across the city of Chicago where they live. I find that really engaging, and it's really smart, and um, I'm a sucker for riddles. And so it reminded me of this book. Um, In that case, in The Calder Game, it's about a new friendship being forged, whereas in Dollbones, it's about relationships changing. But it also, it rang true in that same way because um, they're questing together, and I'm a big fan of that. Um, the YA book is Grasshopper Jungle by Andrew Smith. Mm. And um, it's about relationships and about um, finding yourself in the midst of kind of these high stakes science fiction events, science fictional events. Um, in the case of grasshopper jungle, it is these giant grasshoppers start to overrun a town where this teen boy and his best friend and his maybe girlfriend have to learn how to fight, um, and survive. So, um, this book reminded me of both of those in one way or the other. The books that I thought were similar to this, um, I have The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman, just because of like the general tone. I think if you like this book, you would like that book, even though the stories are not at all similar. It has a kind of a dark tone and doesn't shy away from like scary things happening. Um, and also like the readability of it. Both of them you know, kind of difficult to put down. And then um, a series of unfortunate events because... That has the same sense of like of this very loving, almost family dynamic. I mean, in a series of unfortunate events, they are a family, but the kids in Dollbones feel like a family. They feel like almost like brothers and sisters more than friends. So they have this like very loving and caring relationship, but all of these terrible, scary things are happening in a very entertaining way, which is a weird thing to say, but <laughs> <laughs> they have a similar tone in that way. Our drink is called the Friedelberry Merzenquest. It has uh, has vodka and Galliano, um, amongst other things. It is delicious. It's very tasty. It reminds me of either, like, it reminds me of the first couple licks of a Tootsie Pop or a <laughs> Blow Pop. It feels it's more fruity, su- but sh- super sugary. I like the bitters in it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it would definitely be too sweet for some people, but I tend to like sweet, so has kind of a citrusy tang to it. Mm-hmm. And actually the color is great for like a spooky drink somehow. It's, it's got like this pale yellow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's um, it's a good drink. Yeah. And the French fries are amazing. <laughs> oh my God, these French fries. I can't stop eating them. 
So we'll post both of those recipes. Okay, so the Friedelberry Merzenquest, um, we're drinking that because, one, it sounds like something the Munsters would drink, mm-hmm. and so it's a little creepy, but it's got fright and quest in it, and so <laughs> we thought that was a good fit for doll bones and something a little bit out of the ordinary as well. And then the french fries we made as a snack because when the kids are on their quest, they stop at a diner and eat french fries, which is pretty basic, but... Um, they're delicious. It's the only thing they can agree on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because at that point, they hate each other. <laughs> Even if I hated you, I would agree with you about these french fries. They are so freaking good. Um, <laughs> they are really good. But I don't hate you. Yeah. No, never. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Newberry Tart. Next episode, we'll be talking about Flora and Ulysses by Kate DiCamillo. We'll see you next time. Bye. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Meitinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com. Where was I even going with that? French fries, that's where I was going. <laughs> I just sorry. want another French fries. I'm just like surreptitiously chewing here because, oh mm. my God. Two more and then I'll stop. I need one more. Good job finding this recipe.